You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 293 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Hannah McGibbon is a software developer at Shopify. He primarily works on improving code-based help of Shopify's monolithic Rails application. Gannon regularly contributes to open source with commits on Rails, Ruby, and RuboCop. Offline, his hobbies include owning a cat, speaking Japanese, and eating unreasonably spicy food. Thanks for joining me today, Gannon. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Gannon, what is your developer origin story? Uh, Well, it started in high school with VB6 and Java and later use. I then took a business IT course in college. And um, in that IT course, uh, there was an e-commerce course. Uh, and we used Rails 3 and Ruby 1.9.3. And um, I remember my teacher for that course being very influential uh, to me. He encouraged me to go to meetups and start using GitHub and contributing to open source, uh, or at least posting my uh, projects online. And um, then after college, I got a job at a small English learning, uh, English learning company uh, using Rails. And now I'm at Shopify. Very cool. So I have asked previous Shopify guests this before, but I always enjoy asking it. What is it like to work on one of the largest Ruby on Rails applications? I would say uh, it's rewarding. Uh, Because Shopify is so big, it really puts stress on software in ways you you wouldn't expect. Um, And because of that, we do end up building our own thing in uh, many cases. But I think the best part of my job is advocating for upstream fixes. Uh, for issues that we find so that other people can benefit from uh, our hard work. That's really cool. And, you know, as someone in the Ruby on Rails community, I really thank you for that work. That's fantastic. So speaking of, I saw that you're number 59 of the top 100 Rails committers, which is absolutely incredible. How did you get started committing to Rails? So Shopify offers um, a program where you can go for a few months and work uh, on Rails or another open source project instead of your regular job. And um, I volunteered for that and got accepted and chose Rails as my project to work on. And um, I started um, commenting on old issues and trying to close them out, Um, sort of trying to get context on things that people uh, have sort of forgotten about because the the team that's managing the issues is is, uh, small and there's, you know, enough work to do as it is for your paid job. So a lot of your commits are around merging PRs and enforcing coding standards. Do you have advice for the listeners around those areas? Yes. Uh, I think that in terms of merging PRs, it's very easy to press the merge button when you have permission to. Um, stepping back a bit from that, uh, I think uh, code review is a real art form that uh, developers need to really hone their skills on. Um, so contributing to open source by reviewing open source PRs um, is a great way to sort of get involved and um, uh, leveling up your skills. Um, And it doesn't even need to be an open source. You could uh, review your coworkers PRs if you don't do that already. Um, Yeah, it and and uh, the the feedback cycle you get with other developers is very um, uh, rewarding for both yourself and for them. Um, In terms of coding standards, uh, I started on the issues team for Rails, and that means that I can't, uh, or at least I couldn't at first, 
uh, merge uh, code changes. It was only documentation PRs and non-code changes, essentially. Um, so while I do have strong opinions on how code should be written, um, Rails doesn't accept stylistic PRs. And I think most of those early contributions were related to documentation. Um, but if I do have any uh, concrete advice for anyone in terms of coding standards, it would be use RuboCop or some other uh, static code analysis tool on your project. Thank you, Gavin. That's some really excellent advice. So let's discuss your latest article on the Shopify engineering blog titled How to Write Fast Ruby on Rails Code, which is something that we all aspire to do. What prompted writing this article? So uh, part of Shopify's goals this year uh, included uh, speed as a feature and uh, putting more emphasis on making code fast. Um, it was adapted from an internal talk I volunteered to give. And from there, I was encouraged to write an adapted version of that talk uh, for the engineering blog. Um, but I think externally, two things influenced me to step up and start writing and researching for it. Uh, the first being uh, Jeremy Evans's uh, closing keynote at Ruby Kagi uh, this year, which was all about Ruby performance and optimization. Um, it really spoke to me as to how little I knew about uh, performance in Ruby and how much um, uh, the core team of Ruby is paying attention to it and how much I appreciate it. And then also uh, all the performance optimizations going into Rails this year uh, really opened my eyes to um, speed being a real emphasis in, in the Ruby community as a whole. I completely agree. So while I highly encourage everyone, and I mean everyone, to read the article, and the link is in the show notes, can you summarize the steps needed to write fast code before you get caching involved? Yes, so at the Rails level, um, it's important to pay attention when uh, Active Record actually executes SQL, um, and also to select less columns uh, in your queries where you can. Um, also to avoid unindexed columns. Uh, also to avoid querying unindexed columns uh, because it doesn't work very well on large tables. Use throttling where you can, especially where uh, caching isn't possible. Uh, use active job if you aren't already. It's, uh, it's a really, really necessary thing for long running tasks in your web apps um, at the Ruby level. Uh, use less gems or at least uh, limit yourself to gems that you trust and that aren't stale and deprecated. Um, metaprogram sparingly because metaprogramming is always slower than coding it out yourself. Um, so know the difference between ON and ON, which essentially boils down to access time in your code. Uh, for instance, uh, an ON function would be um, looking up an item in an array and O1 would be accessing something in a hash. Um, and one is faster than the other, depending on the size of data in the data structure. So for a hash, um, it's always a constant lookup time, O1, and for uh, a lookup in an array, depending on the size, it's, it's always going to be slower or variable based on the size. Um, allocate less objects uh, so that your server has less hard work to do. Um, minimize layers of indirection in your code because less code is faster. Now, I spend a lot of time at work, and my boss does this as well, reviewing the code base and looking for places that we can optimize using a caching layer. So now let's get into caching. What should we understand there? Um, so there's two things. Uh, 
I'll talk about the query cache briefly. Um, that's the basically the last line of defense for Active Record in terms of redundant SQL execution. Um, it runs in the lifetime of a request uh, and also in jobs. So if you have code that executes identical SQL, it'll only hit the database once. Um, but uh, I, I, I preface this on the on the article too. But essentially, you need to uh, ignore it and forget about it because coupling your code to expect that it's always going to be there is a bad practice, and um, it's kind of an invisible caching layer. Um, but then also the Rails cache, um, as we uh, as Rails developers, I'm sure we know, um, you can cache uh, actions, fragments, pages, views, uh, raw data. Um, but specifically uh, to pay attention to, uh, you can cache actions, views, and raw data. Um, but the key to effective caching is to um, uh, the the key to effective caching is to it's a redundant word. Uh, <laughs> the key to effective caching is is key keys and expiration. So the, the the critical piece of caching is to name your cache keys properly and to uh, pick appropriate expiry times and couple that with uh, eviction policies in your uh, caching provider, be it Redis or Memcached or something. So you did mention dependency management. As a huge fan of Dependabot, what are your recommendations? Have you ever seen a common scenario that you see repeated into code bases where a gem is being used and really that should be just part of the actual code base? Uh, yes. So I think it's a balancing act for sure. Um, with uh, with Choosing to reinvent the wheel or go with a prepackaged solution is a is a hard uh, thing to argue about. But I think it comes down to how you use the uh, the gem and how you and how many dependencies it's bringing in itself and how actively maintained it is. There's a lot of metrics to uh, to look at. Um, but I think really the the two guiding principles that I go with are. Um, only depend on gems that you really need and uh, keep your dependencies uh, up to date. So if, for instance, you have something that is a gem and you are unable to keep it up to date because it doesn't, it's, it's no longer actively maintained or it's deprecated, then that's a good reason to uh, use, uh, to, to build your own uh, solution and to maintain it yourself. Okay. So in the end, we care as a community about whether or not Rails can scale. We hear this over and over again, and you're doing work both in the open source community and at Shopify to, to assist with performance. So do you feel, Gannon, that we will ever get away from the stigma that Rails equals poor performance? Uh, yes, I, I think that the three big applications that are using Rails are a good example of that, GitHub, Basecamp, and Shopify. They've all proven that you can have a large-scale Rails app and still be fast. Um, I guess the thing is, is that uh, Rails doesn't have uh, microsecond response times, and Ruby isn't meant to be as fast as C++ uh, or another really low-level language. Uh, these these all really boil down to trade-offs, and um, 
Ruby and Rails are fun to use, and they're they're good enough for most web applications, I would say. I couldn't agree more. So as a past meetup organizer and speaker, I'd love to hear your thoughts on general meetup advocacy, just because I feel that meetup is very much in the news right now with their announcement of their payment changes. And there's been a lot of people who are going out there and trying to make their own meetup platforms. And there's just a lot of discussion about meetups in general, if they're a good place to network and whatnot. So as someone who has a lot of experience with meetups in general, I'd love to hear your thoughts around this. So um, I think the reason I like meetups so much is because I owe a lot of my early mentorship uh, to them. Uh, the very first meetup I went to was about understanding understanding Ruby, reading the uh, C code of MRI, which was way over my head. Um, I remember being very uncomfortable and, uh, and everybody around me was much smarter than me and I felt intimidated, um, but I kept going. And eventually uh, I made some friends and I got more involved and I started um, managing. I kept going and I eventually made some friends and got more involved in my community. To, to summarize though, I think, um, I think that uh, if you're thinking about starting a meetup locally in your community, or if you're thinking about um, attending a meetup that's already in your community, it's a great way to uh, expand your uh, skill set and to um, make some developer friends. <laughs> that's a great idea. I completely agree. So uh, lastly, how can listeners follow you and support your work? Follow me on GitHub and um, keep using Rails, uh, test new versions of Rails, submit issues, uh, keep the issue board alive. Um, that would be great. <laughs> awesome. Well, Gannon, I know this was the first podcast that you've ever been on. So thank you so much for taking the chance and spending time with me today. Um, and the half of the community, thank you for all the work that you do. Number 59 <laughs> committer, which is absolutely an amazing feat. Um, listeners, please do support Gannon's work and thank you so much. You have a great night. Thanks. You too.